are continuing a series on Acts that we began probably eight or nine years ago at City Life. We pick up a chunk of the book of Acts every summer and study it in depth. And today we are doing the same. We're picking up in Acts chapter 21. But before we get into that, I want to do a bit of review and an overview of some of the big picture stuff that's going on. First of all, uh, we're going to have a little quiz here. First, uh, tell me, who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. Pete, you get two points. Good job. Good job. Two points for Pete. Okay, and the book of Acts is actually a continuation of a previous book of the Bible. What would that be? Luke, the Gospel of Luke, yes. So the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. And even though John is in between, uh, Luke is part one, and then the book of Acts is part two by the same author, the same, same story, just part two. When Jesus uh, is getting ready to ascend into heaven and he's commissioning his disciples for ministry, he tells them, I am sending you into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. So he's telling them, I'm going to send you out and into all the parts of the world. Another question, who was Paul before he became Paul? What was his name? So very good, very good. And what was, what was his role in Jewish society? He was a Pharisee. The scripture says he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He held the laws. He was a rigid Pharisee. And uh, what, what happened to him? Yes, God appeared to him in a vision. He appointed him as an apostle, and he struck him blind until, and, and Saul, had, Saul slash Paul had three days of blindness before believing in Jesus, and then he was a transformed man. And we, in the book of Acts, the second half of the book of Acts is all about the missionary journeys that Paul takes to the various parts of the world around them. Do you, and we just watched the video. How many missionary journeys does he take? Very good. And can you name one or two people or three people who traveled with Paul? Timothy? Silas? Barnabas. Very, oh, very, very good. Okay, great. We're on a good path with a foundation. Now, we have up here our map that we like to use for this study. Just so you can get some your bearings of where you are, this piece of land across the bottom is, do you know what continent that is? Africa. This is Africa down here. Here we have Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And so if we were to go over this way, we would have Russia, and over here we've got China, right? Help you give some bearings. Over here, we have Greece, and a little further up, up here, we'd have the rest of Europe, right? Which would put North America maybe over here somewhere. Okay, so you have your bearings of, of where we are in the world. We have the Mediterranean Sea, and this, this gray area is the country of Israel with Jerusalem down here. Jerusalem being the place where everything was really starting. That was where Pentecost happened. That was where Jesus did a lot of his ministry. This was the center of where all this whole Christianity stuff began. And we lost a map here. Let me just put that back up. There we go. And, uh, and so that's where everything began. And so today we are going to trace, just briefly, the three missionary journeys of Paul on this map. Now, uh, Miss Diana is going to come and assist me with this. I'm just going to warn you, it's a little tedious, but that's okay. Just think about how tedious the journey was as people uh, took this journey. 
So, the, tur- the book of Acts begins with talking about Antioch here. If you could just maybe step aside for just a second. So, sorry, I, I called you up too soon. This is Antioch right here. Antioch is one of the most important cities in the book of Acts at this point. This is where the, the church had spread from Jerusalem up to here. Now, there were, not, there were Jews here, but there are also a lot of Greeks here. And this becomes the, the largest church. It is a multi-ethnic urban center. It becomes the most influential place in the book of Acts. And this is the place that scripture says they, they first called them Christians at this place. And so this multi-ethnic urban church becomes the sending point. It is while the Christians are gathered here with Paul, discipling them. Oh, you can come up and help your granny. You can help your granny, honey. Come on up. Um, Paul is discipling people there, and he's, he's hanging out with them teaching. And it's while they're all worshiping together and praying with them that the Holy Spirit comes and meets with the people at the church, and the Holy Spirit says, Paul and Barnabas, you need to be sent out to go do missionary work. And so the, all the church says, okay, we're going to send them out. So they send out Paul and Barnabas to do missionary work. Okay, so Miss Diana, come on over here, please. And we'll trace this first missionary journey here from Antioch. And they come down to the island of Cyprus. They take a ship, in case you're wondering, they take a ship, then take a, sh- whoops, then they take a ship up to, up to Perga. I did not want to stay there. <laughs> there we go, there we go. They take a ship up to Perga, and then they travel up to Pisidian Antioch, which is different from regular Antioch. It's just a place that has a very similar name, so they call it Pisidian Antioch, just to distinguish between the two. And they come over to Iconium. Now, it's while they are here at Iconium that trouble begins. Paul goes, we'll just pause here for just a second, Paul goes to the synagogue, and as we saw in the video, the practice at that time was for Paul to go into the Jewish synagogues to begin with the Jews, begin teaching, see who was interested, kind of see who bit, and who wanted to be, who wanted to know more, and then it would be after that that he'd kind of branch off and go into the Gentiles. And so he, he meets up with the Jews at the synagogue, and uh, at first they're very receptive, they're like, Jesus is this Messiah that our prophets have been talking about. Like, this is really interesting. But thousands of people, the, nec- the second day that he teaches, thousands of people show up and because people are just so interested in this and so excited about what they're hearing. But then the Jewish leaders get jealous. So out of their jealousy, they begin, they make a plot to stone Paul. Paul decides, Paul and Barnabas decide, I think we'll leave now. So they leave Iconium with that plot and they come down to Lystra to Derb, uh, Lystra and Derby. So go ahead and pin Lystra and Derby. And it's while they are in Lystra that again Paul begins teaching and things are going well. But Jews come from Antioch and Iconium. <laughs> Do you want help? No. You're good. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, Derby. You can go ahead and pin Derby and Lystra. And Jews come from Iconium to come and, and say, hey, 
hey, he was just here, and this guy's a troublemaker. You shouldn't have him here. So they, so they stir up trouble. And then they go to Derby. And, er, they, so they do Derby and Lystra. Then they go to the next place. And the two Jews come from Antioch and Iconium. They arrest Paul. They stone him. They leave him for dead and drag him outside the city gates, assuming he's dead. That's the end of this man. That's the end of it. Well, Paul's not dead. Paul, can you imagine coming back from a stoning? Paul comes back from a stoning, and he and Barnabas are like, all right, maybe we're going to head home. So up to this point, there have been thousands of people who've been influenced and curious and interested in believing about Jesus. These quiet little pockets of believers begin to form. Um, but there are threats on Paul's and Barnabas' life this whole time. It says many believed uh, but, but, they're still, but they're building up this leadership phase. Acts 14 tells us that Paul and Barnabas preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. So they do that, and then they, they backtrack the way they came. They, went, they go back, Lystra, Derby, Iconium, and they backtrack the way that they came, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. So they travel, they travel to there, they make disciples, and they travel back and they say, okay, we're just checking in again on our way home, just making sure to stay strong in the faith. And they teach people, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. These are people who've now been Christians for, I don't know, a month or two. And part of their discipleship is, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 23, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So Paul and Barnabas start pouring into people at a leadership level. They build up, they build up elders and appoint people. Now these people, keep in mind, they've only been Christians a short minute. You know, and, and he says, all right, you, you certain people, you're the elders. You're the people that, we are, that we're going to invest in in this season, and you keep people connected to Scripture. Let's, let's keep talking about Jesus. So then they, they go back, and they sail back to Antioch, returning to that mother church in Antioch. Acts 14.26 describes that. It says, from Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed by the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So they returned to the mother church and they said, all right, we just took the gospel of Jesus into Asia. Like we went on this big trip. We went to Cyprus. We went to all these places of influence and we, are, we established some new churches. And so they, it says they stayed there for a long time. Then... This would be a little, a year or so later, missionary journey number two. Missionary journey number two. And this takes place around A.D. 49 to 52. And you can see the passages of scripture in which this is represented. We have then Paul and Silas, this time it's Paul and Silas rather than Paul and Barnabas, traveling. And they go through, they take a little bit of a different journey. This time... They begin at Antioch. We'll go ahead and do this one again, Miss Diana. And he once again goes to Derby and Lystra, visits again the church that he started there. And it's here that he meets up 
with a young man named Timothy. Timothy is a disciple, and Timothy is, is, is young. He, his mother was a Jew. His father was a Greek. So Timothy is part of a multiracial family and has an interesting cultural connection to both Jews and Greeks. And Paul sees in Timothy potential. And so at this point, Timothy joins Paul and Silas and continues with them on their travels where they then invest in Timothy. That's okay. I'm going to pop. This is, this is coming up here representing meeting up with Timothy. Then they travel up north to, I don't know, this worked better for service. I don't know what's going on with my pins. Sorry, guys. <laughs> okay, we, we'll stick a person, we'll stick a person up there. And then we're going to travel up here where they go through Asia. But they take a northern route this time. They then come, they then travel up over this part that di neither Diana nor I can reach. They go up high. So imagine that this next one's going up there. We're going to pin in the middle of the, this is, this is Philippi. And this is an important part, port city. It's what the book of Philippians is named after. And it's Phil uh, Timothy would later actually become a pastor of the Philippian church. So he would, be, have, been, would have been greatly influenced by this time. Uh, dealing with a knot was not part of my plan here. Hang on one sec. Okay. There we go. There we go. And then we have uh, a visit to Philippi, uh, Thessalonica, and then we're going to travel down the Greek coast where Paul then meets up with multiple people here. He gets to southern Greece. Let's put a pin here. And we have Athens and Corinth um, here and here, if you want to pin those into Diana. And while he is in Corinth, Th it's there that he, oh, sorry, I missed one. Back up in Philippi. We've got to backtrack just a second. Up in Philippi, Paul meets up with a woman named Lydia, who is the dealer in purple cloth. That was a really fun sermon that we did on Lydia a year or so ago. And so meets up with Lydia. And while he's down here in Corinth, it's there that he meets up with Priscilla and Aquila, the ministry couple who are disciples, who become disciples of Jesus and become very significant in the work that, that Paul and God will be doing there. Then they travel back home via Rhodes. All these places are mentioned in the scriptures. And they come back to Antioch. That's missionary journey number two. This then takes us to the third missionary journey. Here we have Apollo. Let's see. Uh, so we once again are being sent out of Antioch. You ready for one more? You got one more in you? Okay. It was a little easier for service before they were. Maybe next time I'll roll them up. 
So this time, Paul's paying attention to all of the, the big things that are going on in Ephesus, and he takes the southern route through Asia over here to Ephesus. And while he's in Ephesus, he meets up with, with um, Apollos, a, a disciple named Apollos. Uh, it says in Acts 18.24, there was a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, Egypt. And Apollos finds himself in Ephesus. It says he was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. So he already knew the Jewish Old Testament scriptures very well. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. He only had a limited understanding of Jesus. Apollos began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they think, this guy, he, he's on, he has potential. He doesn't know the whole gospel yet, though. And so when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. So Apollos then, uh, Ephesus is a, is a leading city. Paul ends up camping out in Ephesus for a two-year period. He, he teaches people. He teaches daily in uh, the, the lecture hall of Tyrannus, and uh, Paul invests heavily, spending intense time. Can you imagine going to a sermon every single day for two years. I mean, you would be so lucky to be able to have that. But Paul is there for two years teaching and instructing the Jews and the Greeks, and many, 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 many people hear the word of the Lord. Well, there's a whole bunch of drama. This was actually where our sermon series ended up last year, but there was a whole bunch of drama. There's a huge riot in Ephesus, and Paul is in trouble. Paul gets arrested. There's a, whole, there's a whole layer of things that happen. And so they end up leaving Ephesus, they then make the rest of their journey. Uh, Diana, you can actually follow the same path. They make the same arc going around Philippi and, and down the coast of Greece. And while you're doing that, they, they make this similar journey around that east side of Greece. And then, after they do that, they're visiting all the churches along the way. Then after that, they go, oh, I'm getting confused on my maps here. They go back down, they go back, good, 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 perfect, yep. Come, and you can come all the way down here. And then they go back the way they came, back up here and here. I can do one if you want to do the other one. Yeah, I've heard that's hard. I said that first service, too. Uh, go ahead and pin one. Oops. Go ahead and pin one up, pin one up here again because they're backtracking. He's once again revisiting the church he was just at. Comes back over here to revisit the place he was just at. And then... And then he comes back to Ephesus. One more pin. And this brings us to where we currently are in our study of the book of Acts. So all of this was history of things that we've covered the last couple years in our studies. So now today when we pick up in Acts chapter 21, we, we, it says 
it, it's a really kind of not interesting passage. It's just a short eight or nine verse section of scripture that mostly lists places that they went, but th- you're, you're going to see all this in context in just a minute. So they go to Kos, and then Rhodes, And then Patara and Cyprus, let's just, we can just get Cyprus down here. I'll get that one, that's okay. Yeah, it's kind of dark and awkward right there. And then, uh, if you want to come over here, and then comes over and he hits Tyre and Ptolemaeus. and Caesarea. We can actually just leave that there then. Thank you. Thank you, Diana. Let's give Diana a hand. So Acts 21 verse 9 says that they, they landed in, we, last year we ended up with them in Ephesus. And at Ephesus, Paul has this vision from the Holy Spirit that he's supposed to go to Jerusalem, but he's going to die there. That's not gonna, he's going to be under persecution there. It's not going to be good for him. And so all of the people there are like, in Ephesus, hey, Paul, don't go. Like, we kind of like you to stay alive. But uh, it's a very emotional meeting. And so we begin in Acts 21 verse 9 where, where there's this emotional departure between Paul and the Ephesians. Acts 21, verse 1. After we had torn ourselves away from them, the Ephesians, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day, we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. Interesting, Rhodes is the site of one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, so you can read about that later. And then after Patara, oops, then after, uh, let's see, verse 2, says, we found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia. We went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria, which is this region here. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. Finding the disciples there, we stayed with them seven days. So they come to a group of disciples located here in Tyre. We can call them the Tyranian disciples. How's that? Finding the disciples there, we stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But when our time was up, we left and continued on our way. All the disciples and their wives and children accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. I love that picture of the Tyranian disciples and their families all gathered on the beach, getting ready to ship Paul off to a destiny that didn't look so promising. It's the whole families were involved in being discipled. The whole families were involved in the ministry and in the prayer of sending Paul off. Verse 6, after saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and they returned home. Verse 7, we continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemaeus, where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for a day. So here's the Ptolemaean disciples. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea, and stayed in the house of Philip the Evangelist. So here is Philip in Caesarea. Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. 
Let me just pause for a minute and talk about Philip just because he's in today's passage, and I think he's a really interesting character. He's known as Philip the Evangelist or Philip the Deacon. This was not Philip, one of the 12 disciples. This was a different Philip. He's, listed, he's talked about earlier in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 8, when they're making decisions about who's going to feed the, the Greek widows, if you remember that story, and Philip was one of the seven that they appoint to do those good works and to be, he was, had a significant role in the early church. This is the same Philip who also witnesses to the Ethiopian eunuch when he meets up with him through the spirit on the side of the road, and this Ethiopian eunuch accepts Christ and then takes the gospel down to Ethiopia, which is a pretty incredible thing. He was a servant of the Candace, who was like the queen of Ethiopia. And Philip is part of, uh, Philip is the one who leads him to Christ and has that influence there. We also know that Philip goes and leads, uh, uh, does ministry in Samaria and in some other places. And so, but the scripture ends with him in Acts 8, ending up in Caesarea. Here we are in Acts chapter 21, 20 years later, and he's still in Caesarea. Philip has put down roots. He has established a church. He has settled in. He has raised a family. He has four adult daughters, who, and their singleness is mentioned because singleness was so highly regarded as this is a way to significantly be a part of the kingdom of God. If you can offer your singleness to God, God's going to use that for his mission. And, and these are women who prophesy. They have a leadership role in the church. And Philip has discipled his family. He has discipled this church. And so Philip has done this incredible work of depth for the last 20 years. So here we have the three missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. You might be wondering, why are we talking about all this? So what? We just had a geography lesson. What is this all about? I want to make three observations before we get into the main teaching. Observation number one, notice the widespread effect. Notice how this all started in Jerusalem, and it could have stayed in Jerusalem. The disciples had this incredible experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit where tongues of fire came on them and filled them and empowered them to speak to the nations that came to Jerusalem for the Jewish festivals. They were already influencing the whole world just by seeing in Jerusalem, but they didn't get kept in Jerusalem. God's vision was never that this would just be a Jerusalem-oriented religion. God's vision was that the whole world would know Jesus for God so loved the world. God's vision from the time of Abraham was that all nations would be blessed through him. And so there's this picture of breaking out of Jerusalem and spreading. Into, this was the whole Roman Empire area. We're not getting into all this today, but we have, we have that um, Ethiopian eunuch who went down to Egypt. There are other stories that talk about Africa being influenced. There are other stories that talk about different parts of Asia and Europe being influenced. But we have this widespread activity in which it is beyond belief, just the influence. Keep in mind, these people do not have cars. They do not have any method of travel other than feet and ship. They don't have the internet. They don't have phones. They don't have ways to call ahead and prepare people. They don't have ways to influence people other than speaking. This is all happening because people are talking. Because people talk to other people. They are compelled by this good news, compelled by this life-changing transition that God has made in their lives, and this truth that they now understand and see, and they want others to have it too. 
William Carey says, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. This is what they're doing. They have a big, big vision. The second observation is notice the layers of repeated connection. Notice how there, is, there are multiple trips in this area. There are multiple trips in, in this area. This is a gathering point. Ephesus is a gathering point. Philippi is a gathering point. Corinth. Th- there are multiple repeated trips to some of the same places. This shows Paul's commitment to building in to people, to building into the churches, to not just establish them and leave them on their own, but to establish them and say, okay, now we're going to come back. Now we're going to come back and tell you, this is, what the Anti- this is what the church at Antioch is learning. These are the things that we're understanding. Uh, this is what the epistles of Paul are all about. When he writes all these letters in the New Testament, he's writing letters to these churches saying, hey, uh, you got to shape up here. Hey, the way you're living, or somebody else told me about how things are going at the church, and they're not going great, so let's talk about that for a minute. He he writes all these letters to them, teaching and instructing, and he has these repeated layers of investing in people. The third observation is I want you to notice the generations that are at work. By the time we get to the end of the third missionary journey, this is AD 57, which is about 20 to 24 years after Jesus. Most disi- when the 12 disciples were first uh, summoned by Jesus and, and brought into being trained by Jesus, most of the disciples were probably late teens or into their 20s, possibly early 30s, but probably not, earlier, probably not older than that. Usually disciples weren't older than their rabbi, and Jesus would have been around 30 at the time when he began his public ministry. So this was, this was a team of probably teens and young adults who were the 12 disciples being raised by Jesus. The Apostle Paul comes in as an apostle lately born into the group. And here we are, 20 to 25 years later, and these young adults have now grown up into regular adults, to maybe middle-aged adults. And we have these 30, 40, 50-year-olds who are now leading the way. They are the ones, like Paul, who who are getting stoned who are going into dangerous places, who are giving instruction and who are teaching the other churches, who are, who are having the challenging conversations, who are going out and, and they, they understand the big picture. They've, they've had maturity. They've grown. And, so, and they've invested. We have Philip, who's been in his location for 20 years, pouring into that location, pour, invested in his community, building into the next generation. There's this long-term investment of people like Philip who plant themselves and dig in and go for the long haul. We have Timothy. Paul's pouring into Timothy, who we're told is young and inexperienced, and Paul's pouring into the next generation. We see women being mentioned in here. Some of these people represented on here are women who are, uh, who are, who are like, I'm, I'm a leader. I'm, they're being raised up as leaders. Lydia was a, 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 had a house church in her home. Priscilla and Aquila had a significant role together. We have Greeks that are being part of this, so it's not just a Jewish thing anymore. We have outsiders. There's this tremendous crossing of cultures and genders and ages and ethnic barriers to provide this incredible Holy Spirit unity that's only possible through the unity that the Holy Spirit can bring. And the purpose of all this isn't just to fulfill a diversity quota. The purpose is that grown and mature Christians are taking seriously 
the call to invest, disciple, and reach all nations for Jesus. They're just doing it. C.T. Studd says, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. The mature and growing Christian is not going to sit back and say, I've done my time. It's time for the young people to take over. The mature and growing Christian is going to say, I'll go. I'll go first. Wherever you send me, God, I'll use my maturity and my experience. I'll use the fact that I've gone through the hard knocks of life. I I give that to you, God. You use that in me. I want you to hear a testimony from Zach and Emily Baker. They represent some people who've, God's just doing something in their their lives right now. They're people who, uh, the the gospel of Jesus is affecting their lives and is bringing some things to life. And I asked if they would be willing to share a little bit about that. another example to me that 
That's awesome. Thank you, Zach. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Um, and Emily, you have a couple examples of kind of how this has been playing out in your life lately. That's awesome. Can you, can you talk to you a little bit about like kids, like how this is affecting your family life too? Mm-hmm. Um, Abby's had her phone going off and singing songs about Jesus, and she has her own songs about Jesus. 
I love this so much. So can I sh share what I shared in first service about, so Zach puts this out on social media this week. He writes, the very best part of my life recently has been talking to others about Jesus. We literally cannot stop. He is doing such amazing things in our life, four exclamation points. I see a lot of evil at work in the world and even in our own communities. I can't express how impactful Jesus has been on me in my life. He lives every day in our home and brings us so much closer to our true selves and others who share in that same love. I gave my life to Christ 10 years ago, and it was the best decision I ever made. I just want to say thank you for your example, and I know that you wouldn't be the kind of people, I mean, Zach, you said this to me, like, well, I'm not like this big public speaker person, but you're just overflowing with the goodness of God right now, and you can't stop. You literally cannot stop, and I just, it's just a beautiful picture of, you know, there's this, somebody brought you the thread, and somebody passed that to you, and you're passing it to others, and your, your brother, the people in Las Vegas, your children, who knows who else. And this, the thread of the good news of Jesus is being passed on through people like you, just like the, the disciples in the early church. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. So what does all this mean for us, City Life? Just a few things. Number one, let's, let's do a few things. Number one, let's look for opportunities for God talk. Now, Zach and Emily are accomplishing what they're accomplishing because they're talking. There's that, that uh, quotation that says, that says uh, if by all means, preach the gospel if necessary, use words. You've probably heard that. And I understand the intent of what that's trying to say. But the reality is, the news of Jesus requires your words. You need to talk about God. You need to talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You need to talk about what he's done in your life. There's look for opportunities for God talk. The mission of God from Abraham to David to the Apostle Paul to this young early church to present-day Christians and us, people who influenced you for Christ, these things have been accomplished by word of mouth. People sharing their testimonies, their stories, people dialoguing, people learning, just like Paul, when Paul was teaching for two years in Ephesus, people asking questions, like Apollos was asking questions of Priscilla and Aquila. People are talking about who Jesus is to them and the beauty of what God has done in their lives. Who can you be doing God talk with? Your children, your housemates, your coworkers, your neighbors, who can you be doing God talk with? If you're uncomfortable with it, all I have to say is just get going and it becomes more comfortable as you do it. But don't, that verse we've been talking about the last few weeks, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not push that down in you. Let him out. Let him out and look for opportunities for God talk. The second thing is let's be ordinary people living in the extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit. I think Zach and Emily would say, we're, we're ordinary people. We're just on a fire for God. 
And when I look at the people here, the Lydia and Apollos and Timothy and the disciples here, they're not even all mentioned by name. When I look at the people represented in this story, the Apostle Paul, I would say, is probably not an ordinary person. He's a little bit unordinary in every way. But everybody else is just ordinary people. And it's ordinary people that are holding it down. It's the ordinary people who are the disciples at Tyre, the disciples at Ptolemaeus. It's the ordinary people who are the elders, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, they're doing extraordinary things to the point where this whole Christianity thing gets started and continues and explodes all because of the word of mouth of ordinary people like them and like you and like me. Christianity would blow up here. In fact, this area of Asia Minor, now modern-day Turkey, would become the center for Christianity at one point. Christianity would explode. We think of Christianity as a, a Western, like U.S. thing, maybe Europe. Christianity exploded here. It exploded through here, through the northern part of India, all the way to China. It went up into Russia. This whole area was an incredibly significant Christian center. The Acts map is full of ordinary people living in the extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit. The third challenge for us is let's get in step with God's God-sized vision. It would have been very easy for the disciples back here at Pentecost to say, We had this incredible experience with the Holy Spirit. Literally, fire droplets rained down on our heads, and then we could speak other languages. And Jesus told us this would happen, and it's this incredible, we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, it's incredible. They could have all stayed there. But God's vision was never for Jerusalem to just be this incredible place and for, for, uh, for Pentecost to stay here. God's vision was so much bigger than what anybody could imagine. God's vision was for Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And the ends of the earth. The Roman Empire. And North America, that was over there somewhere. And China, that was over there somewhere. God's vision was so much bigger. Church, we need a worldwide perspective on what we are all about here. This is why that we, we gave in a special offering we did not that long ago for Pastor Charles and the, their, his ministry family in Kenya. You might remember that. This is why we invest in the Mongolian missions with Jen and Corey Ellison. That they were part of our body and now they're serving in Mongolia. And they are training pastors and leaders. Jen and Corey are both trained for theological education. That's what they are doing here. And they're, now they're doing that in Mongolia. All the pastors in Mongolia are first-generation Christians. Mongolia has only been, they've only been Christians in recent history in Mongolia for about 25 years or so. And so they're, they're training and teaching and discipling, doing theological education, helping build up church structures and things like that. This is why we do those things is because we believe that the goodness that we have isn't just to be contained here in this beautiful little church of city life, but that God has intended us to be so much more. Bob Pierce says, let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. God so loved the world. So often we can think, the inner city of Grand Rapids, the city, we've got so many needs here. We do. But let's keep a big vision. 
let's remember this God-sized vision that God has given to us and keep our eyes on the world, too. Number four, let's be a mother church like Antioch. Antioch was this sending center. It was a ministry center. It was a sending place. It was a place that said, there are unreached people around us. There are pockets of people. There are neighborhoods and cities and countries and people groups that don't know all this goodness that we know. And this church became a teaching place, a correcting place, an equipping place. At City Life, we have always and appropriately had an outreach bent to who we are and to what we do. And we need to not lose that. That's part of our DNA. It's, it's who we're supposed to be. We've always sought to develop a deep concern for our neighbors and to be on the lookout for those who are marginal people. We, that's, that's part of who we are, and we need to not lose that. When COVID came along, it threw everybody off for a while, spiritually as well as other things. And we all, we, we, we all, like every other church, not only in the U.S., but around the world, we heard these stories from churches around the world as well, struggled to figure out, okay, now we're coming back. What is coming back look like? How do we rebuild church again? And together with the Holy Spirit's guidance and with God helping us, we're, we together were able to rebuild this church, to pull people in, to bring friends, to, to develop. We got our children's ministry up and running again. Some churches still don't have not been able to get that up and running again. We are so grateful we've been able to do that. And even our core team dug in. We established connections with the significant number of people that in our community that don't have regular internet access and so couldn't do our, our um, remote services. So it was just a lot that was going on. But you'll probably remember that even when people started coming back, there was still kind of this malaise, this kind of fog that was over people for a long time. I think a lot of people felt it. And it, it manifested for some as a spiritual apathy, kind of a, a smothering that just seemed to be on, on so many. Like, how do we break out of this kind of COVID weirdness that we've all just been in? The loneliness and the isolation, trying to figure out community, longing for community, but not wanting to do the effort to be in community again. It was a pruning time in many ways. But as I look at where we are as a church, I, I see us as we found our way out of that fog. God in his grace has brought us to a new place. We're in a new place now than what we were even a year ago. COVID changed many things, but we are not the crippled, smothered place that I think we were at one point. We are stronger. We are healthier as a church. We are more unified. We are more committed to Jesus and to the integrity of Scripture than ever before. We are collectively, I believe, more passionate for Jesus and a seeking of the Holy Spirit than what I think we've ever had. City life is always going to be a hospital for the hurting. This is a given. It's part of who we are. But church, it's time for us to grow up and to mature and to say, like the apostles, we've had some time, we've gone through some things, and it's time for the mature and those who've been developed and those who've been discipled to become the mother church, to be a sending church, to pour into the young Timothys, to take the persecutions, to go to the courageous places, 
to be a church committed to looking for the ribbons of God's movement and jumping in on how the Holy Spirit is leading. The Holy Spirit led all of this stuff. It wasn't like the apostles sat down and said, let's have a strategic planning session and decide on what we believe is the best place to go. It was much more likely that what they did was they said, hey, we're going to pray, and through prayer, we're going to seek to understand how the Holy Spirit is moving. This was the Holy Spirit's plan. There are multiple times in the book of Acts where it says, we were going to go here, but then the Holy Spirit stopped us and sent us there instead. This isn't about us coming up with all the things we are going to do to change the world. This is about us jumping in on the ribbon of the Holy Spirit that is already at work in our world and in our community and saying, I am going to be part of that. I'm going to participate with this. It's time for us to mature, to grow, and to go out. When Jesus was still on earth doing his earthly ministry, Jesus told his disciples a couple things. He, saw, he was doing ministry one day, he saw a crowd of people, and the scripture says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Do we have any lost people in our lives who are like sheep without a shepherd, who don't know the shepherd Jesus, lost and wondering? And he says to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He says there's the harvest of people who want to be believers in me. There's a harvest of people who want to be saved, who want to know life in me, but we need more workers to go into the harvest field. Later on, Jesus is sending his disciples out into public ministry, and he's preparing them to go, and he's, he's sending them out. They, they, they aren't very experienced at this time. This is early on in their ministry. And, and he's sending them out, and he says, I just want you to know, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So go be a worker. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. And another time when Jesus was talking with the Samaritan woman at the Samaritan well and his disciples come back and they're seeing that he's talking to this outsider who's not one of the Jews and they're not sure what to do about that. Jesus says to his disciples, I tell you, open up your eyes. Look at the fields. They're ripe for the harvest. I have to believe that when God looks at the world, he sees a harvest that is ready to be harvested. That there are people everywhere who are saying, who, who they don't even, maybe not know they're saying it, but inside of them there's something that says, I would respond if I could hear. The scripture says, how will they know unless they can hear? How will they know unless someone goes to them? And I have to believe that when Jesus looks at Grand Rapids, Michigan, and looks at our neighborhood, that he also sees a plentiful harvest a harvest of people who don't really know what he can do for them. A harvest of people who have been disillusioned, who have that fog on them, who maybe once were part of, of God's flock and aren't right now. A harvest of people that I think God sees and says, I know the harvest is plentiful. Will you go? Will you be that voice? Will you be those feet? The Holy Spirit is doing something. He's doing something here. He's doing something in this city. 
He's doing something across the globe. And the question for us is if we'll just be part of it. And so like Zach and Emily, I want to challenge you to have God talk. Talk to somebody about what God's doing in your life. Talk to the people in Las Vegas at the hotel counter. Look for the Timothys. Say, hey, I've known you a long time. You're a young person. I see something in you. I think God's got something for you. Can we talk about that? Look for the Priscilla's and Aquila's. Like the Priscilla's and Aquila's, look for the Apollos's. And say, let's have some conversation about some things. Let's talk about, let's, let's instruct you in the way of God more adequately. Yeah, it's going to take me a little bit of time. It's going to take some in- intentionality on my part. But I'm going to do, I, I'm going to, we're going to sit down and we're going to do some Bible study for a while. I'm going to take the time that it takes to invest in people. And sometimes life is going to bring you knots and then you just like keep moving. Okay, so that's what that's going on right now. <laughs> so... Yeah, we'll just, like I said, sometimes life is messy, so we'll just let that be. Sometimes it looks like simply reaching out to that person who's been on your mind, and the the mature Christian will start to notice, hey, that person keeps coming to mind. Maybe that's the Holy Spirit putting them on my heart. You got to learn to pay attention to that. You got to learn to notice those things. And then you reach out to them. I don't know what God talk looks like for you, but I have a sense that if you pay attention and seek the Holy Spirit, that this thread is going to continue. And let's jump in on what it is that God is doing so that the goodness of God, the gospel, the good things he's doing doesn't just stay here in, our, in a beautiful worship service with beautiful music and beautiful community, but that it goes out these doors. That it goes out these doors and out into the parking lot and out onto the highway and out into our neighborhoods and out to work and out to all the places that God wants to send his people. He's inviting you to go. He's inviting you to be used by him. He's inviting you to say yes, to have the conversations, to be a light, to be part of the work that he's began thousands of years ago. You get to jump in. And so, God, we come to you today and we say, here we are. 